Welcome to Taking Back Birth, a podcast for women who know the truth about birth and those who want to explore the path of radical birth love. I'm your host, Marin Green. Taking Back Birth celebrates the power you have to make decisions in alignment with your own truth. Decisions not subject to anyone else's authority. Decisions that create experiences that will change your life. Taking Back Birth is a production of the Indie Birth Private Contract Association and IndieBirth.org. No material on this podcast should be considered medical advice. Birth is not a medical event. Welcome to Podcast Friday. It's been so long, it feels like. The last podcast, I had the honor of recording with Margot. And if it's up to me and we can find the time, I want to do at least one more with her here. There is such a radical difference with recording a podcast side by side in real life with the person you're talking with, especially because internet is what it is. So I thought that podcast came out exceptionally well. It was just such a timely conversation. And if you haven't heard it, it's called Do Midwives Make Birth Safer? So it's been birth, all things birth, 100% of the time, 24 hours a day (laughs) for the last bunch of weeks when I haven't recorded any of my own podcasts. It's been that busy. So I'm going to catch us up a bit. And then also personally, it's been that busy. It is spring here in Kentucky, which didn't take me long to realize that it is so special. It is so, so special, even after a fairly mild winter, to see everything sprouting again. It's really fantastic. My kids are so excited. And I have been too. The immediate way the grass and the rolling hills have turned from brown to green overnight and everything sprouting, of course. You don't have to plant it for it to sprout, so that's even better. All kinds of fun little flowers and buds that we didn't get to see last year here because we weren't here yet. And that brings me to another monumental kind of anniversary, which is the anniversary of deciding that Kentucky was our place, the anniversary of finding the wonderful property we're on and in, and really just kind of mind boggled that that was a year ago already. So many podcasts last year about where and when and how is this going to work. And here we are a year out having been on this property, loving it so much. I think finally catching our breath in a way, you know, it's hard to move. It's hard to move 10 kids plus animals. And I think the spring just feels so good in all of the energetic ways that spring does And having it be the first spring in our house feels even better. So we have been gardening a bit. We're not really doing that this year, I don't think. Um, We have a lot of work to do on the property to even clear a space for a real garden. But the kids are totally able and willing to plant seeds here and there. A couple of potted plants and herbs we are working on. We have a random blueberry bush that we've planted and an apple tree um, and two chestnut trees. And most of those are due to just very nice friends here 
giving us some plans to start with. So that's been really, really fun. And today, just today, one of the projects, uh, it's been a day of projects, but one of the projects was to get some new chicks into our flock of chickens. I didn't know if I was going to take the plunge into that this year. And I'm glad I waited. Uh, if you're a farmy sort of person, the chicks are available, at least here at the tractor store, many months ago. Many months ago, we could have started raising the baby chickens, but I'm glad we didn't. It was just too cold and keeping them warm sounds very stressful. And I think we're finally almost at the point now where that's not a concern other than the heat lamp. So I think we're good. I think it'll be way more enjoyable than it would have been a month or so ago. And my little true, my almost 10-year-old boy is in heaven. He got to select his six chicks today and he picked some different breeds that were new to us. They're really all new to us. And it's really sweet. He set up their whole habitat heat lamp, the food, the water, and is going to caretake them. He is going to caretake them for a couple of weeks, I suppose, until they're ready to be with our nine chicken flock out in the pasture that we have. So lots of personal things like that happening, just lots of growth inside and out, lots of um, just changes and shifts, I think, in energy for me personally, been doing lots of breath work and probably more to come on that with Nathan. I think we're going to talk about that on our podcast, which if you don't know, by the way, it's called The One About the Midwife in the OB. And it's a really fun podcast. We need to get back to recording. We've both been, I hate the word busy. I really do. I always kind of make fun of him and, and other friends when they use that, right? It's like, what does busy mean? But we've both been occupied uh, with lots of things, including uh, everything mentioned, plus kids, plus family and life and being, you know, husbands and wives and all of that. And then finally, I wanted to share a little bit about the recent Indie Birth Skills Weekend. Whew, I am still catching my breath from that. We hosted a three-day workshop here in Kentucky and we... We're so excited to welcome 14, I believe, midwifery students to a very intensive three-day workshop where we taught and we also learned, of course, Margot and I, but we mainly taught and uh, the students learned midwifery skills from a hands-on perspective. Not all of the attendees were our Indie Birth Midwifery School students, which is fine and great. And we just kind of never know really who's going to show up. Um, but that was interesting to kind of have that contrast because we know our students pretty well. Uh, maybe not, you know, 100%, obviously, like on a personal level, um, but we know their work. We know their strengths for the most part. We know what classes they've taken. And that's really helpful as you are teaching hands-on skills, because as you may have guessed, in our midwifery school, we spend a lot of time. It's a two, almost two-year curriculum, so we don't just jump right in to palpating a belly, obviously. There's all kinds of inner work that comes first, and you know, having a growth process around some of these really intense topics 
that result in touching people. But we don't start with touching people, at least in our school. We feel that's kind of backwards. So for most of these students, the ones that were indie birth students, it was kind of a culmination of their education. And a lot of them are almost on their way to, you know, becoming primary midwives, which means they're under apprenticeship, but, um, or under supervision, sorry, but in an apprenticeship. And a couple were about to, or, or almost sort of kind of already out on their own as new midwives. And so it was a very inspiring weekend, I think, for all of us and exhausting as well. (laughs) No joke. And then the third day, we were really honored and blessed to have Dr. Stu Fishbein right here and, you know, sitting in this very chair at one point in the weekend and um, during podcast recording, actually. Uh, I would love to have him back on mine. He was on my podcast, geez, I want to say seven years ago. So brief history there between uh, Dr. Stu and myself, just because I think it's fun to see how these connections form. We met almost eight years ago and I went to Los Angeles. Of course, I was living in Arizona at the time. I arranged for a weekend trip for Jason and myself and Ever, who was a baby back then, left the kids with my mom at home and was determined to meet this man. I don't even quite remember. I really don't. Like, where did I hear about him eight years ago? You know, there weren't all these trainings and he didn't have his podcast. So I'm trying to remember how I even knew of him. I can't. Hmm. Maybe I'll remember later. It's kind of crucial to the story, isn't it? Anyway, spent the weekend in Los Angeles with him, you know, watching breach videos at his apartment, um, having conversations, going out to dinner. And I was so honored because This man didn't know me from anybody. He had never heard of indie birth. I don't know that he really cared, at least at the time. He was just being kind and a good teacher. So that was eight years ago. Shortly after that, we invited him to teach for our first indie birth midwifery conference. And he did. He presented on Breach and Twins. And that was the first really solid teachings I feel like I was exposed to. Um, Although I take that back, Lisa Barrett, there were some other really important teachers in my life uh, about breach in particular. So Dr. Stu was, um, you know, very up, very high on that list of really influential people and still is. So I guess that's the cool part is that was eight years ago and he's changed a lot. His life has changed a lot. The world has changed a lot. Los Angeles has changed a lot. Um, And I think the same goes for me, you know, in my own life, my own evolution, all of that. And so it really felt like this coming home to really amazing connections this last weekend, both with our window free students and with Dr. Stu. It felt really right and it felt really aligned. Um, I'm sure most of you who listen to this podcast have heard him, have heard his, follow him on Instagram, whatever, but he is so kick-ass. He is a beast. (laughs) He is so radical and so outspoken in the best possible ways and so without apology and so in his truth, both in his practice of um, midwifery, essentially, you know, he, he really does, I would say, practice midwifery, not obstetrics, even though he is an obstetrician and very much, you know, is, is fine with that 
and, you know, kind of owns up to that in all of the beautiful ways and flaws that that profession is. So I have yet to meet um, a more honest man in the profession other than Nathan, of course. So I've got two really awesome male buddies in the birth world. And that's really, really a blessing and not something I really ever thought years ago that was possible. I know there's so many, you know, people out there that maybe don't understand that and don't understand our work maybe or You know, we got a lot of comments on our Instagram in the last week with the skills workshop and his workshop in particular that was all about breach skills. And I'm not going to spend too much time because for the most part, I don't think there are people, uh, I don't think those are the people that listen necessarily to my podcast. And also because it really highlights the stupidity of humans right now, especially on social media. And I could totally rant about that. <laughs> I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's just we've been more active there and, and posting more things that I'm just like totally flabbergasted by the IQs of people that choose to comment on such things. So, you know, we posted breach videos if you, if you didn't see and they weren't birth videos. They were videos of us practicing, practicing with this really awesome super realistic, very expensive model that Stu brought. He had two of them and purposely set up one so that the woman was on hands and knees essentially, right? Because that's how most of us are going to be attending physiological breech birth, if you didn't know. Uh, And then the other model was on her back because sometimes that happens and sometimes women don't want to move. And yes, believe it or not, once in a rare while a woman actually will choose to be on her back. So for the sake of having skills, which is what this workshop was about, we practiced both. And I found that really challenging, actually. Uh, Of course, you know, the woman on her back, I found that really challenging with the breach study. And I did pretty well. And it was really fun. And I totally love that problem solving, that puzzle solving thing that breach birth can be. But it was challenging because all of the hundreds of hours, it feels like, that I've studied breech birth um, is from the hands and knees, you know, the mom on her hands and knees kind of perspective, because that's what most of us as midwives will be attending. So anyway, back to the lowered IQ of people commenting on Instagram, it's like they just didn't get it. You know, why is that woman flat on her back? And, you know, kind of going crazy with it, like people do on social media, holier than thou, like, oh, that's not birth. Oh, that's not midwifery. Just calm down, people, you know, calm down. We had uh, one of the leading experts in the world, in the world here on Breach Birth. And I'm sorry if you don't like the fact that sometimes Breach babies need help and that us as intelligent midwives uh, would like those skills to make sure that we are exactly what is needed in any scenario. Then I don't know. I don't know what to say to you. You know, this Instagram world of, as Margot has pointed out many times, you know, birth liberties, um, these people that don't work in birth, they don't actually go to births, but they are kind of, uh, you know, sermoning everybody else on social media about this ideal, blissful, uh, babies just fall out kind of vision, which, yes. Um, and it's always, weird, right? Because we hold both of those visions. We hold that almost always and all of the time for the women that we work with. But we want to be prepared too. And there's no shame in that. In fact, 
I think there's more shame in not thinking you need skills because birth is only spiritual. And it's not, you know, it's everything. It's everything. It's nothing. It's all of the things combined. And I personally felt so, so grateful and so validated as well with the breach practice, you know, that when we need to get our hands in there, we want to know what to do. We don't want to be messing around. We don't want to hurt a baby because we don't know what we're doing. We don't want to waste time. We don't want to be scared or go into panic mode because we have never done anything even remotely connected. And of course, worst case scenario, uh, we don't want to not be able to help a baby out that really needs to get out. And again, this does happen in birth. So for all the Pollyannas out there, good for you. Uh, You should just keep watching birth videos on YouTube and then you'll always be happy and babies will always come out and you'll feel really great about that. But in the real world of being a midwife, um, we need to practice all of these things. And having friends that are doctors It rocks my world. I'm so lucky. I'm so, so lucky that I'm not just surrounded with people that, um, you know, never challenge me. And not that I feel more challenged necessarily by one of my doctor friends, but they were trained differently. So there's lots of great conversations there about what's wrong, what's right, what works, what doesn't. And having friends that have this kind of perspective and have really figured it out for themselves is so valuable. So I don't care. I don't care if they're doctors. I don't care if they're guys. They're some of my best friends. And I just feel so lucky to be in this work and growing it, you know, growing Indie Birth, growing this vision we have of a retreat center, of more workshops, of more people, of changing the world, uh, one birth at a time, one midwife at a time. Uh, And here in Kentucky, you know, maybe one state at a time, we're kind of making waves and things are really happening. So that is definitely huge in all of the ways. And we do have another retreat coming up next weekend. So I kind of have the week off, so to speak, but of course not really. And really looking forward to Margot and I welcoming in 14 women again, again, uh, for the purposes of answering the call to radical midwifery. So that retreat won't be skills-based. It won't be hands-on but it will be reflective, it will be intentional, it will be a lot of inner work and community so that these women who come, they leave, our hope is, being able to answer that call. Uh, If you're interested in that, there will be others. I think that might be, depending on how this goes, one of our primary workshops in the mix that we offer in person. So that's called Answering the Call to Radical Midwifery. And yeah, I'm sure you'll see the page around or you can always email us if you're eager to learn more and or apply for one of our next retreats. That's what's happening here. So much, it's hard to believe I even have anything extra to talk about on a podcast. But of course I do. And I'm not sure how much time it will take or how in depth I'll really go since we're already 20 minutes in here. Thanks for holding space though for that update. I feel like it's been a really long time since I've done any kind of update because I've just been diving in with Margot. And I think before that, it was just like, get it done. Podcast topic, (laughs) get it done. Oh, by the way, I'm going to be appearing on Dr. Stu's podcast. That's called, what is it called? I think it's just called Dr. Stu's podcast or Birthing Instincts, I think is the new name actually. So I'm assuming most people here follow him and I'm sure you'll see it. But it was really an honor to be invited onto his podcast 
with Bliss, uh, the midwife that he works with, and himself. And we sat here at this very desk. And of course, Bliss was um, over Zoom, but Stu and I sat here together. And that felt really, really nice and uh, a really great conversation between the three of us. So be on the lookout for that. So many things. Okay, quick drink of water here. Let everybody catch up, take a breath, get their own drinks. Ah, water is so good. I got Hannah in here with me, relaxing nicely. I didn't want to leave her home. Jason has enough on his plate with all the kids and now chicks. So Hannah's here. In the event that she should decide to explore the new baby chicks, she won't be able to. She's here. Okay, topic at hand today. (sighs) Being in the bubble. Being in the zone, so to speak, as the midwife. In between the workshops and as I've shared all of the things going on, I found myself on call. That was a bit of a surprise and a very welcome one with this family that came here to birth their baby. So it wasn't something I had known about or planned about, but found myself gratefully And that's part of, I think, the theme of this talk today. Gratefully, on call, ready to assist them with their birth, simultaneously, of course, getting to know them. Of course, one of the hallmarks of midwifery care is that personal relationship. And usually, if we're lucky, it's eight months, it's nine months. And when things don't work out that way, and we only have a couple of weeks, let's say, I wouldn't say it's harder. It's just more intense. It's like fast forward, you know, it's uh, pick any relationship in your life, maybe a new friend. And if you wanted to just suddenly know them a lot better, like if you had a time frame, yeah, you would be spending a lot of time with them. And you would be curious about them, most likely. And so I found myself in that space unexpectedly, which again, was so grateful to serve this family. But also reflecting on the zone, the bubble that I have to create as the midwife. This is always the case. But when you have your clients that are here locally, you've known them for a long time. Again, it's a less extreme feeling. It's just like, oh, they could have their baby. And you kind of have your center, your energy around that. You've spent lots of time with them. Um, I have a lady coming up, having her baby in probably another two weeks. I've spent a ton of time with this wonderful woman over the last nine months. Tons of time with her, with her family, you know, in all kinds of settings, we've become friends. So I'm not noticing that I put myself in a bubble in the same exact way. So it's always unique when, again, you don't have that relationship or maybe you don't expect it. Um, Or sometimes it's just because, you know, first time moms, for example, I think it's across the board, just more work and more focus for the midwife too. 
of course, it's work for the mom first and foremost, but perspective today as the midwife, there's lots of different reasons why as the midwife, we kind of focus in the ways we need to. I don't know if you are listening and you've had your own births as a woman before. I know for me, having birthed 10 children, it's super valuable to have had those experiences where I put myself in the bubble as the pregnant woman. I've done that many, many times and it's familiar to me and it's pretty comfortable and I feel like I've written about it and podcast about it and all kinds of things because you're really between worlds at the end of pregnancy. Your brain has to sort of kind of function, especially if you have other kids, but your spirit, your heart, you're starting to really go somewhere else almost and open up and receive information from whatever, the baby, the universe, nature, whatever. So I just got thinking how as the midwife, we really do do a similar thing. And again, to what degree, who knows, different midwives, different ways perhaps. But it dawned on me when waiting for this last baby to come that I really had to protect my energy in the ways that I do when I'm pregnant, that I really didn't want to hear anybody's fearfulness, any birth stories that might be similar. Um, It's a really unique place to be. I think in the more mainstream world, we have this idea of talking about birth like it's purely physical. And that's just the way it is. And even in my own little universe, we can easily fall into that because it's so practical. You know, it's so practical to talk about birth that way, especially with our colleagues, our other midwives, or our doctor friends even. So we use terminology around maybe labeling them, right? Like, oh, she's a V-back or things like that, where of course there's more to it. Of course that woman is like a million more layers. But in just conversation, right, we're relaying, oh, I'm waiting for a birth or, you know, I'm on call and and I have a first time mom do whatever it is. So we kind of reduce the conversation. And a lot of it is just, you know, because that's time efficient and and who knows what exactly we're we're actually trying to communicate. Maybe it's just our call schedule, which is super boring. <laughs> super boring to talk about that stuff, but you know, it definitely happens and having had a room full of midwives this last weekend, I can tell you it definitely happens. And it's not my favorite crowd. <laughs> I love midwifery students. Um, but a room full of midwives? No. Lots of ego, lots of crazy stuff in the room. So, you know, we all participate in that sometimes and to a certain degree. Ah, So this idea that birth is just this physical thing um, makes me feel often as the midwife, like I have this whole crazy sort of secret world going on in my head and my heart when I'm waiting for women. Because I don't think that way. And I just said this to a client the other day who actually is planning a VBAC, a home birth after cesarean. And I know that about her. Like I know that. She's told me a million times. I'm very aware. I haven't written the paper. 
But I told her when I'm sitting in front of you and we're talking about your labor and, you know, the choices you have in labor, like listening to the baby or whatever, um, I, I forget. Like I don't, that's not like at the front of my brain, like you're a V-back. You know, in my mind, she's this beautiful woman and I can feel her energy and I know she's just going to rock this birth of this third baby she's getting ready to birth and you know it's more like feelings and colors and and energy rather than this label so when we're waiting for a birth it can feel the same way and I guess (coughs) excuse me that whole last blab was because I don't often feel super supported in that by other birth workers. And, you know, I don't need to in a sense. I, I'm i not like asking and nobody's giving it back. I don't mean that. It's just I feel like I'm in my own little world, in my own head. And if people want to talk about anything like that, um, then I find myself at a loss for words because I stop thinking clinically. I stop thinking technically when I'm in the bubble. And maybe that's what I was trying to say all along. When I'm in the bubble, when someone is due to have a baby, yes, I know the things, right? Like I have the breach training. Uh, I, I know that someone's a VBAC or whatever, but I have to let it go. They're no longer those things. There's, they're no longer that label. They're no longer a this type of birth. I have to really focus in on what I'm feeling and the energy and maybe connecting on a soul level even to the mom, to the baby, rather than this clinical talk. So that's what I was trying to say. It took me a very long time to say it. <laughs> I know that it is a mindset. It is a heart set, if that's a word. It is a mindset and a heart set to get into this space so that I can really serve each woman, each family individually from a place of love, not fear, and gratitude. The connection to the baby is a huge point for me. And it's something that's become increasingly important over the years, that being able to connect to the baby in whatever way, maybe through dreams, maybe through shamanic journeys, maybe through cards, maybe through just, you know, when I'm feeling the baby in her body, you know, kind of hearing it or or seeing the energy or getting some kind of sign or message that this is not crazy, that this is the spiritual aspect of being a midwife, that birth is a spiritual practice. It's not only that, but it is very much that. And when I get into this bubble, relying on that communication is what I have to remind myself to do, just as if I was the pregnant woman. You know, at the end of pregnancy, who wants to worry about how many centimeters you are or how many weeks you are or anything that is really linear, right? And in your right brain. You have to get out of that. You have to find your bubble. You have to find your your positivity and and your groundedness to be able to birth. And so it's the same with being a midwife. I connect with the baby as much as I can and as much as feels right because I want to completely trust that the baby knows how to be born. And that doesn't mean actually that I expect or think that means that every baby will be born peacefully at home. I wish that were the case, but that's not mine. That's not my story. That's not my soul's path. That's not mine to decide. So when I say I trust the baby, 
to be born. That's in whatever way the baby needs to be born. And again, it's not always at home. Sometimes it's in the hospital. Sometimes it's even as a C-section that I trust the baby is a wise soul, even if the body is one of a baby. Joy and gratitude is a huge theme of being in the bubble when you're the midwife waiting for a birth. Any feelings of fear or uncertainty or negativity or dread must be ousted from the bubble. And again, in my world, these are people I really want to serve. I love to serve. Nobody's making me. I'm very particular about who I work with. So um, if I found myself not feeling joyful and in gratitude, then that would be a huge red flag for me. And I would have to look more closely at that. But with the people that I do feel great about, which is, you know, the people I've chosen and they've chosen me, just feeling so lucky. Like, did you ever think about that if you attended births, you know, or attend births, even as a doula? Did you ever think about how lucky you are, how lucky you are to be invited and to have this firsthand witness, this front row seat in these people's lives? It's absolutely an honor and just blows me away. And to do this work, I'm healthy, I'm well, I'm able-bodied, I have a car that runs, you know, I have wonderful supported home for childcare, right? I have so many things that make serving as a midwife really, really something I'm grateful for. Uh, There are many people I think that want to do this work and can't, or for whatever reason, kind of feel forced or whatever, don't feel grateful. They're just kind of like, ugh, that's my job. And I guess I'll go do it. No, I am so grateful that I get the opportunity to serve as a midwife. I know that I am responsible in my own life and I am deeply, deeply connected to other lifetimes And possibly these people that I'm serving in other lifetimes. So when I'm in this bubble, again, it takes on this really unique feeling and perspective. It's no longer a clinical label. It's no longer, oh, I'm just waiting for this birth. It's a grounding and a preparation for being in this complete experience with these people, with this mom, with this baby that I've probably known before. Those are my beliefs. Hmm, I'm reading my notes here. I'm trying to figure out what the heck I meant by some of this. It's very, very esoteric. I think what I meant here is that there's also a vibration as the midwife that I am part of, perhaps, the process. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe I missed the birth. But, you know, I've been part of the story so far. But as Margot and I were talking about on the last podcast, that we're not the responsible party, right? We're accountable for our own actions. We've agreed. We have sort of a, a contract, even a soul contract to maybe serve this family. But really being intentional with our energy and not worrying, right? Because again, in this bubble, worrying, fear, it doesn't have any place. This is not our experience. 
So it's a discipline. It's just like meditation. It's just like anything else you would do where you would train your brain, train your heart even to separate, to detach. I love these people. I'm in gratitude, excited for the birth of their baby, but I'm not going to worry about anything. Like what if this happens? What if that happens? Sometimes in midwife brain, we can't help it, but we have to discipline ourselves to not do that when we're in the bubble, right? We can do that before, and I do. Oh, let's review that, right? We just had the skills workshop. Let's review. Uh, How do we handle a hemorrhage? How do we resuscitate a baby? Oh, yeah, great. Now I trust myself again, or, you know, I trust myself more, and I let the the worry go. I let the how do I do that? Um, I know that I can. I know that I would. And so that kind of mental activity doesn't have a place in the bubble. And again, it's a discipline. So if you're a midwife, if you're a doula, this might sound new or weird, but you could try it. You could try to kind of create your space as you're waiting for births and promise yourself and work on keeping everything as whole and grounded as you can. Knowing that when you're not in the bubble, right, births are over for a little bit, you might be off call, then that's the time. That's when you go back into maybe study mode. That's when you go into like, oh, well, what about this thing? And what would I do here? Or, you know, let's, let's review this story. Totally in and out of the bubble, totally natural. I know getting out of my mind is important and getting into my heart and my breath. So just breathing and remembering to breathe and be in my body and working on that as I've been. And then it translates to when you're out of birth, even out of labor, um, just to remember where you are, what's going on in your body, and why you're there. This really helps also instill the highest vibration in your thoughts and emotions around this work. So again, we, I, <laughs> I am in control of my thoughts and emotions, as are you, should you choose to be. So if we feel emotions coming in or thoughts that aren't part of the bubble, as I've just mentioned, then we correct them and we know that we are in control of feeling how we want to feel. And the best benefit of that from a more clinical perspective or a a more intellectual perspective is that this energy, this solid energy that we bring to a birth is also the place from which we act if we need to. So I hope that makes sense. The more grounded you are, the more comfortable you are in your skin. You've worked on your stuff. You're just there supporting in the ways you know. Um, Should something come up, that's the right place to be. That's the right frame of mind. So there's also a high degree of trust for ourselves in the bubble. Yes, we trust the baby and the mom and the birth process, but we trust ourselves that we will know. And that definitely came up a lot and comes up a lot with the skills weekends and in general with student midwives. And it's hard to imagine because we learn these things, right? We learn a laundry list of shoulder dystocia maneuvers, for example. And yes, we need to practice them. We need to get the visceral memory in our hands. We need our brains to have the program, right? We need to have the program. But then when we are actually at the birth, we can't be running the program. We have to run on our internalized intuitive process that also includes these skills. And that takes time and experience. So I don't know where everybody's at that listens to this, but I know for me, I can think of years ago, I mean like 15, 
ish or no, maybe not 15, probably 12, 12 years ago, uh, helping a baby out was one of the first babies that I had to do that uh, on my own as a midwife. And I learned so much from that baby because I learned to trust myself. I remember going back and forth with, did I need to? Did I not need to? I remember talking to elder midwives, relaying the story. Did I need to? Did I not need to? And I think finally one of the elders said to me, trust your hands, we'll know what to do. And I have never forgotten that. So being able to act from a place of being centered and grounded and from love is super important. And then we can trust ourselves even more that if our hands just kind of act and, and do a thing, whether it's, you know, to touch someone or, or to help a baby in any which way, that we trust that. And sure, it doesn't mean outside of the bubble later, we don't question it or maybe have, you know, some other ideas or we share it with a colleague and we're like, hey, what do you think? But in that bubble, we trust we will know and we each have what is needed. My role as the midwife, especially when I'm in the bubble waiting for a birth, waiting for a baby, um, is to be the light. And I'd say that's the most recent lesson slash download I've gotten, but I'm not holding that to be true for each and every birth just because every situation is unique. I think I might be called to do different things and and so will you if you're paying attention to that and and really going with the unique needs of the situation of the souls involved. Um, but for this last birth, I really felt strongly and I was seeing signs everywhere and and felt so deeply. My only job is to hold the light. And the baby even, the baby in question, told me many times, get out of your head. Get out of your head and just be present. I need you to just hold the light for me. That's all. And so, you know, this sounds super hippie and all of that, but it was the feeling, the feeling that I stayed with every time I was just anxiously anticipating this birth. Um, No, remember that my only job is to hold the light. And being a midwife can feel that way. And I don't think that's all we're doing, even if that's sort of how it feels or ends up in the birth process. As Margot and I talked about, being a midwife, being in this role of midwife is super deep and super layered. And so there's lots that goes in all of the weeks, all of the months before and after. But in that moment, like if we're talking just about the birth in a way that we're making this bubble for, in that moment, we're called sometimes to just hold the light. And that's all. And it doesn't mean our skills are invaluable. It doesn't mean we we won't need them, right? It doesn't mean the same thing every time. But to hold the light means to hold the vibration that is needed for that mom and baby so that there is a fearlessness, there is a love, there is a welcoming that we're responsible for. And, you know, without making it about midwives in an egotistical sense. I do think it's super important to think about if you attend births, how your own energy affects the room, how it affects when you're not even in the room, (laughs) how it affects when you're only on the phone. Everything that we are, everything that we believe, everything that we bring to the table, positively or negatively, is available energetically. So we can't hide from people. You can't. You can't hide it. If you're scared, uh, people are going to feel it, especially if they're these sorts of people. And if you're not, you're going to add that glow. You're going to add what's needed to that room. And 
you know, I think different babies, different souls need different things, hence different midwives, right? We all have a different vibration. We all have a different message. We all have something different that we bring. And if we're being really, really intentional about that, there is no mistake. If we trust these babies that are coming onto this planet and are so crazy wise, um, then, you know, they also are choosing who's there for the reasons that they do that we may or may not understand. So I really, really trust in that. And it's when I know that our lives as interacting humans on this plane really come back to energy, that there really is nothing else. And that even something like a skill is energy. It's energy kind of in motion in a way that we might need it to form, right, to uh, form a solution to a problem, but it's still energy. Another kind of knowing that I have around being a midwife is the fact that I have been in this role many times before. And, you know, I think this could easily be kind of like an excuse or a cop out for some people. And I guess all you can do is either think someone's sincere or not. Uh, But, you know, this idea that like, oh, I was a midwife before, so I don't need to know anything. And of course, I don't mean that because... I I do know stuff and, you know, I have years of experience, so I'm not someone that just, I don't know, watched a couple of YouTube videos and said, oh, I'm really a midwife deep down and so I'm just going to attend births. Um, You know, maybe that's valid for them. I can't really speak to that. But I know for me, even though that's true, even though I know I've done this before, uh, I know that I have a depth of experience that goes beyond my experience in this life. That doesn't keep me from studying. That doesn't keep me from learning and doing all the things. But at the end of the day, at the end of all of it, if I'm at a birth, I know, again, that I have what I need. And and a lot of that is due to this inner knowledge that many of us carry. And it might be about birth. It might be about something else. Um, It might be about mothering. You know, it might be who knows what in your life where it's like, yeah, I'm here now, but I've done this before. I feel like one of the students at our skills workshop also said that, that, you know, her hands were new to the skills, but there was a knowing of having done this before and kind of a peace around it. And I don't know if that's true for everybody. I know that's true for me. I have actual, you know, as much as you can have knowledge of past lives, I, I have information there that, you know, makes me really believe it's true. Um, And maybe it doesn't even matter, right? It's like, what does it matter what the story is? Who cares if I was a midwife in the last life or whatever? The point is that wisdom can be accumulated over lifetimes and through our ancestry, you know, through our genetic code. We are women and there is so much more to what's in our hearts and, and minds and hands than what we have right here in this life. And enter Henna, who decided to put her head in my hands as I said that. Maybe Henna has an ancient knowing too. <laughs> One good example I have, and not everybody has seen this video. Um, it's really reserved for our students in the Indie Birth Midwifery School. And then also, if you've ever come to my free workshop here in Kentucky and maybe Sedona, um, I've showed my friend Christina's birth video where her baby was stuck. It was a true shoulder dystocia, probably, you know, one, one of only 
two or three maybe in in 15 years i take that very seriously that um label shoulder dystocia and then she resuscitates her own baby and and we've talked about it many times and she has a podcast with me blah 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 but the point is when i watch the video it's very nerve-wracking because my brain is watching it right my heart isn't watching it it's not real it's not happening i'm not in the room even though you can feel the energy through the video I'm watching it from this intellectual perspective. And I've watched it many times at this point, but I always feel the same way, which is like, oh man, like that was rough. <laughs> uh, I should have gotten the baby out sooner is always my first thought when I'm watching it. And my second thought is always that baby needed breaths sooner. So it's interesting to have had the experience of actually being in it and not having those thoughts and remembering that really well. You know, I don't remember feeling totally panicked or or crazy. I remember feeling really calm and I knew this baby was going to be fine. And so the energy in the room, the connection with Christina, the connection with her baby, it all felt fine and perfect and I had no regrets. So it's only when I watch the video that my mind gets involved and it's like, oh, when you watch a video, you're not in the bubble. I don't care what you think even though oxytocin can still be released as you're watching, you're not in the bubble. That's artificial. You've left the bubble. You're watching a screen and your mind works differently. Your spirit even works differently. You hear different things. You go on different things. So when I watch it, it's just a clinical perspective. That's all. And I have to remind myself, you know, those two things are different. Um, Hopefully, you know, not that they line up, but like hopefully in the end, it all works out fine, always, right? No matter what, no matter if you're really in your clinical brain and you just kind of take care of business, or maybe you're really being more spirit-led with the skills you have. And so that's how I felt in that video. I felt like I was being led by spirit. My hands were just doing their work and I had no criticism of it in the moment. It was all beautiful and exactly as it needed to be. But such a great description of the bubble for myself, even in hindsight, Uh, So we have this bubble we put ourselves in as midwives before the birth, and then we stay in that bubble and we're kind of in it with the family. And I think that's also how relationships can really deepen. You know, um, I had a birth not long ago, a birth uh, that I attended, where, you know, the outcome wasn't what the parents wanted. Of course, everybody wants a beautiful home birth. That was not how this looked, even though mom and baby were fine and healthy. We know there's more than that. And I really was amazed and continue to be grateful and honored that the relationship is intact and feels even stronger in a lot of ways. And the communication is happening. And honestly, the bond is growing, you know, great. Like this is a relationship I think that will extend into the future. And I think it's, you know, again, not anything Um, I'm doing or did, but this idea of also being in this emotional, spiritual bubble can really help create connections and lifelong relationships with people. And again, or not again, but um, side note, you have to want that, right? So make sure if you're the midwife, you're the doula, you're working with people that you want that with because it is a lot. Like you could be the kind of midwife 
or doula that doesn't want that. And that's totally fine. You serve your clients, you're done, they're happy, you move on. They're not a part of your life. They're not a part of your community necessarily. And you're good with that. You just like want a clean break. Um, And I get that. I get that too. But I feel that the people I'm being called to work with in Kentucky lately, the last year, uh, are really, really special and different. And, And we're being called to create something here. So hence this deepening of relationship and connection. And on my end, sharing this kind of stuff, because I think there are tools and topics that we don't talk a lot about, especially when we get really skills focused, which is great in some ways. And again, like I said, kind of like this labeling of of clients or births, and it's just kind of like a job to be done, rather than this intense spiritual experience that attending births can be. All right, I think that's about it. Somehow that turned into uh, almost an hour. I'd love to hear your thoughts around being in the bubble as a midwife or even as a doula. If that means anything to you, what your version is, what you found helpful. I guess I didn't talk so much about how to stay in it. And just quickly, you know, things like meditation, things like a breathwork practice, um, other ways to really arrive in your body and practicing that. I know for me, I have to practice it. These are things I have to do every day to feel I'm in my skin, you know, my soul. Uh, I'm in my body. I'm in this physical car that I'm driving around. But that's not really me. Being close to the earth, I kind of blabbled on about planting and nature and sun and, and that all is super crucial for me to just feel connected. So yeah, on that note, I definitely think if you're interested in this, and maybe this is something you just already do and you haven't really thought about it as a thing or how to talk about it, um, I'm sure you have your ways, right? We have to stay centered. We have to stay grounded. We have to stay calm and feeling good in our bodies to be able to show up for someone else. So in that way, it all makes perfect sense, doesn't it? All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to my lengthy update about all of the things and how to be in your bubble as a midwife. Uh, I'd love to hear from you, as always, Marin at IndieBirth.org. You can always check out the IndieBirthMidwiferySchool.org site. We are enrolling students all of the time that are interested in this sort of midwifery, and I'd love to hear from you. Have a great week. <laughs>